0: Well, if you were going to say, like, what is the secret to happiness? I think there's sort of two ways you could answer that, depending on sort of what angle you took to the question. So one, ancient philosophers and contemporary scientists agree that relationships are a key to Mm -hmm. happiness. To be happy, we have to have intimate, enduring bonds. We have to feel like we can confide. We have to feel like we can get support and just as important that we can give support. And, And like you were talking about earlier, we have to feel like we belong Right, Like that desire to belong is so important to happiness. And so that is just a crucial thing. So whenever you're talking to people about how to be happier, healthier, more productive, more creative, what you see is that anything that deepens relationships or broadens relationships tends to make people happier. And so that's a big theme in terms of like what works.
1: I'm Doug Bopes, personal trainer, best-selling author and entrepreneur. And I'm on a mission to help others become the best version of themselves. And today's guest on the show is Gretchen Rubin, and Gretchen is one of the most influential and thought-provoking experts on the subjects of happiness and human nature, who has written multiple New York Times bestselling books and hosts the highly popular Happier with Gretchen Rubin podcast. Gretchen started her career as a lawyer, eventually becoming a clerk for a Supreme Court justice until she had an epiphany and realized that she wanted to be a writer. She touches on this in today's episode, but most of our time is spent chatting about her personality test that has helped millions better understand themselves, improve their relationships, and become happier. And some of the things that we chatted about that I think you're really going to enjoy are why she switched professions at the pinnacle of her career as a lawyer. We chat about how to stay optimistic while pursuing something that's challenging. Uh, We discuss her unique personality test that has helped millions and will improve how you feel about yourself. You know, With that, we get into the differences between the different personality types so that you can discover which one you are and how you can use it to your advantage. Uh, our discussion goes into what actually can make you happier and what can't. We also chat about which personalities are more likely to, to attract one another and what helps Gretchen get out of a rut and so much more. So let's get this conversation going and welcome Gretchen Rubin. To the adversity advantage podcast gretchen welcome to the adversity advantage podcast
0: i'm so happy to be talking to you thanks for having me
1: yeah i couldn't imagine you starting our conversation without saying the word happy <laughs> <laughs> considering yep yeah, considering this is just the framework of your life these days is you have a podcast on happiness you have books on happiness and every interview you do happiness is definitely at the forefront of those conversations and while i definitely want to get into like what drives happiness what drives unhappiness how habits play into all this i want to kind of get into your hero's journey a little bit if you will because i think a lot of this stemmed from your own story and being unhappy in a job where from the outside looking in you know you were a clerk for the supreme court you were an advisor to the head of the fcc like people would say life is great progression but I think there was that one, I think it was like a rainy day. You're on a bus in New York.
0: Yeah, but it's a little conflated. I will tell you, as is often the case in A Hero's Journey, I look like I had an overnight success, but it really took 10 years. Right. So me deciding to leave law and become a writer had actually happened 10 years before I had my epiphany on the bus and wrote The Happiness Project. So I wrote a biography of Churchill. I wrote a biography of Kennedy. I wrote a Book a fun, excellent book, I think, called Power, Money, Fame, Sex, The User's Guide. So my focus on happiness came much later after I had already been a working writer for many years. I think my subject was always human nature. Mm. That's really what fascinates me. Everything that I write about is somehow trying to understand human nature, who we are. Why do we do what we do? How can we change if we want to change? But by the time I actually turned to do the happiness project, I had been, I had left law many years before.
1: No, I I, I hear you. And I, and I think, I mean, yeah, it makes sense, I guess, that you just don't start off just talking about like a subject like that. But what I meant, I guess, is more that you just weren't fulfilled and happy, like in your job mm-hmm. in law, right? And you were like, you know, I want to start writing. I want to get more into just yeah. sharing different parts of. What you learned.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. It wasn't so much for me that I didn't like law, though I didn't I was, you know, as you said, I was a clerk on the Supreme Court. So I was surrounded by people who loved law. They wanted to talk about law in the lunch hour. They wanted to talk about they wanted to read law journals in their free time. And I knew I did not have that kind of enthusiasm. Like I wanted to do the best possible job for Justice O'Connor, but I didn't want to spend one extra minute on it. But for me, the switch to writing, and I think people in many professions feel this way, and maybe it's even more common with something like writing, I felt an almost compulsion to write. I got an idea for a book that I wanted to write. I started working on it even before I realized that I was actually working on a book. I just sort of felt compelled to do research and take notes. Finally, it occurred to me, like this is the kind of thing a person would do if they were going to write a book. Maybe I could write a book. So it was more, I always like in my mind, it's like, you know, it's Star Wars when the Death Star has the tractor beam on the Millennium Falcon and it's just, and they're like, we have to take our hands off the wheel. We can't fight this. It will will rip our ship apart if we try to pull back. I was like, the desire to write a book became so overwhelming to me that I was like, you know, Right now, I'd rather fail as a writer than succeed as a lawyer. I have to give it my shot and see what happens. It just like it was just overwhelming the desire to go toward that more than like a dissatisfaction with what I was doing in my case.
1: Yeah. And I think there's a lot there to unpack. And I think just one thing that sticks out is you kind of had three professions, if you will, that require you to play the long game podcasting, being an attorney, and being a writer. Like people they see maybe you now with one of the biggest podcaster is or being super successful as a lawyer or being a best-selling author. And they're like, Oh, like, was it just one um, book that put her on the top? <laughs> hey, was yeah, it just yeah. one big winning one big case or was yeah. it just one big es- episode that went viral? And as we all know, it takes time. So how are you through like, what's your advice to people when they're attempting to do something such as podcasting or something that takes like a lot of sweat equity, a lot of hard work consistency to maintain happiness along the way so they don't get burnt out and they can actually just continue doing it even when things get tough.
0: Well, that is really, that's a million dollar question. I think it's a lot of it. Like some, you can look at, you could tackle that question sort of from a transcendent framework. And I would, I would give advice that my father always gave to me, which was to enjoy the process. Because if you're like, I'm gonna write a best selling book and I'm gonna just do whatever it takes and destroy my life in the meantime, or I'm gonna make partner and I don't care what I do for seven years. It's just gonna be horrible, but I'm gonna do it because one day I'm gonna make partner. Like, first of all, you don't enjoy the process, and then second of all, we don't always get what we hope we will get. Things don't always turn out the way that we wish. And, and sometimes, you know, for reasons that are completely outside our control. So if you enjoy the process, like I had a book that totally failed. My my biography of JFK was a huge flop. But I loved writing that book. I, I think back on it with so much pleasure. I, it was such, I just, I, I myself got so much from writing that book that of course I'm disappointed that the book didn't succeed, but but it's not like a bitter, bitter memory because the way it would have been if I had forced myself to do something that I really didn't like for two years. So I think part of it is, fu- is enjoy the process. And If you don't enjoy the process, you may find it very difficult to stick to it because without that enjoyment, you really just have to brutally just force yourself to execute. And, and that is very wearing. And in the end, you, you can drive yourself into negative behaviors to kind of make it up to yourself. You know, given everything I'm doing, I deserve this or that. Or you can just burn out. And often people, some people love it. All these things, some people love to do it. And uh, they're going to be able to keep it up because they have that enthusiasm to give them energy, just like the people who loved law are still lawyers because um, that gives them that, that gave them satisfaction and energy. And then another thing, I mean, you, you mentioned habits earlier. You know, I'm a big believer in figuring out how to create the habits that are going to help you to be happier, healthier, more productive and more creative. And what I really have concluded is, you know, this does not look the same for everyone. And someone might say to you, like, well, I'm going to tell you, if you want to be a successful writer, here are the five. You got to get up at 7 a.m. and write, you know, write your morning pages and then write for two hours and then give yourself. It's like, no, maybe not. Because we're all different, and in my book, Better Than Before, I write about the 21 strategies that we can use to make or break our habits. And, and sometimes people are like, "21 is too many. Give me the big three. But some work really well. For like Doug, you might find that some work for you, but they don't work for me. Some might work for me, you don't find them useful. Some are available to us at some parts of our lives and not in others. So we can't always use them. Some are outside of our control, even. And so we all have to sort of think, that, think about ourselves and be like, well, how can I, what are the habits that I think are going to help me succeed? And how can I set myself up myself? I, I'm not going to do what worked for my brother-in-law or what like, you know, what I read in this online article about the best ways to get something done, but really think about when have I succeeded in the past? Mm. What appeals to me? You know, what's the truth about me? Am I a morning person or a night person? Because if you're a night person Getting up at 6 a.m. to write for two hours. Yeah, it's not gonna be it's not gonna be a good good road to success for you.
1: Yeah. And we we talk about there's a lot of rhetoric, I should say, now where you gotta do what works for you and run your own race and stop paying attention to what other people are doing and focus on yourself. And I love the idea of looking at what's worked in the past. Like I call it almost like a, like a when life works list. Like when light, when you were feeling your best, when you were feeling your happiest, when you were the most productive, like what did your life look like? Mm. Because most of the time, at least in my experience, my own personal experience, I know when my life is a mess and I'm stressed and I'm anxious, I'm not sleeping well. I can write down what my habits are. And I can just see that they're not aligned with my when life works list. Mm. And I would say that, you know, despite people, um, not trying to do what other people are doing in the specific way. I think the foundations, the fundamentals probably are the same. I would say that, you know, the, what I love about habits is you're in the way you talk about it is habits can either make or break you. If you get into these bad habits of not exercising, not eating well, hanging out with bad people, watching too much TV, that will stack over time. And I'm sure you'll become less productive and less happy. Whereas the latter, the alternative, where if you, you work out, you eat well, you surround yourself with great people and you, you focus on personal development, I go on and on. Eventually things will, will happen. And I think where I'm getting at is playing the long game. I would say it's probably necessary to do that and focus on yourself and your habits and what you can can control as far as within you and letting everything else fall into place the way it's meant to. Do you see a lot of that too?
0: Well, I'm a big believer that we should focus on what we can control. That's always what has interested me. What can I do without really anybody else's interest or cooperation, without institutions or organizations changing? I'm not saying that's not important. It's obviously it's often vitally important. And many people are very interested in that. Yeah, I'm interested in like, what can I do tomorrow? Without right. spending a lot of time, energy, or money, without waiting for anybody else to take an interest or to cooperate, I mean, people are often saying to be "Like, oh, your husband must do all these things." I'm like, my husband doesn't do one of these things. My hu- that's not the guy I married. He's not <laughs> interested in this kind of approach. Like this, this isn't the way he thinks. It doesn't appeal to him. That's fine. I don't have to wait for him to get on board. I don't have to wait for him to buy into what I'm doing. I can just do what I want to do. And I even think that, you know, in terms, of, I think it's true, like, don't get distracted by what other people want. But I think don't even get distracted by what works for other people, because often people will say, look, just make a to do list every single day. Think about what your priorities. Write it down in a to do list. Well, I'm here to say a lot of people don't like a to do list. The minutes on their to do list, they're like, yeah, I'm not going to do that. That's OK. You don't have to use a to-do list. There's other ways that can work for you because for some people to-do lists don't work. I like putting everything on the calendar. That's how it works for me. A lot of people don't like putting things on the calendar. Meditation, right? Everybody thinks obviously, oh, of course you must meditate. I've tried meditation two times. I mean, hard, like consistent for months doing exactly what you're meditating. Doesn't work for me. It's just a tool that doesn't work for me because gratitude journal drove me bonkers. It did not make me feel grateful. It made me feel deeply annoyed. Turns out also research shows that like a daily gratitude journal is less effective than like a couple times weekly journal, you know? So anyway, it's just that there's no one tool that works for everyone. And so if something doesn't work for you, I think a lot of times people get really discouraged and they're like, well, what's wrong with me? Everybody else can do this. It's like, no, probably they can't. If you ask around, you'll probably find that other people don't like using that tool or it's not working for them. There's so many other tools. Turn to other tools. Experiment. See what works for you. And this is why I think your point about looking to the past. Okay. So like I remember talking to somebody. She wanted to cook more, but she she was like, I I hate to cook. I'm I never cooking. And I was like, well, was there a time in the past when you did cook? And she's like, well, actually, yeah. When I lived with my roommates in Washington, DC, I cooked several times a week. I really liked it. It turns out that it wasn't that she didn't like cooking. It's that she didn't like food shopping. Mm. She didn't like going to the grocery store, didn't like what all that. That's a very different problem. Right. That's a different problem to solve. So when she looked back on like why she couldn't have a habit now that she could have a habit, then she saw a different solution. And so, you know, and I have my four tendencies personality framework. And this is a place where the four tendencies really come in, because the kind of tools that you use to form a habit are very much depend on what what if you're an upholder, a questioner, a obliger, a rebel. Um, Yeah.
1: And it sounded like the person you were describing was an obliger, I think. Right.
0: Because uh, she fell yeah. more
1: into the being held accountable and ha- yeah. having other people do it. I took the quiz and I'm definitely an obliger.
0: Oh, that's the biggest tendency. Okay. You have a, you're for both men and women. That's the, that's the one that most people, the, the biggest number of people belong to.
1: And you're an upholder, right? Is that.
0: I am. I'm in a polder. Yeah. That's a small tendency.
1: Yeah. So that and like rebel, I think you would, you've mentioned or some of the smaller ones. And, and what I found fascinating is that the word people pleaser, I think often gets used in a negative way where it's like, if you're a people pleaser, that means you have some sort of trauma or you have something you have to work on from your past. And I'm not saying that that's wrong. Cause I think there, there is some, some truth to that, but I love how you talk about playing to your strengths and just be like, knowing like who you are and what your tendencies are and just playing off that. Cause it's, it's easy to spend all of our time focusing on all the things we're not great at, but if we could just hone in, I think and just spend half that time focusing on things we're great at and, and really leveraging that I think we'll have much more success. So what did your research find in the ability to identify for somebody to identify their tendency and really mm. lean into that and, and yeah. do the best with that?
0: Well, let me I'll take a second and kind of describe what they are because so that people know these terms. And I think, you know, these are very obvious once, you know, like I can do the Game of Thrones characters. I can do everybody in my life. Like once, you know, them, they're obvious. So I think I'll just give a brief description. I think your listeners will be able to figure out themselves and a lot of people around them. But there is a quiz online. There's a quick fr- fr- quick. Uh, I think you took it. The free quick quiz is at quiz.gretchenrubin.com. It's just like 11, three, 11 questions, three million people have taken them. So. But, but what, what the tendencies look at, and this is why it's important for habits, is how you respond to expectations. Mm-hmm. So we all have face outer expectations, like a work deadline or a request from a friend. And then we have inner expectations, my own desire to keep a New Year's resolution, my own desire to get back into meditation. So depending on whether you meet or resist outer or inner expectations, that's what makes you an upholder like me, a questioner like my husband, an a like you or a rebel. So upholders readily meet outer and inner expectations. They meet the work deadline, they keep the New Year's resolution without much fuss. They wanna know what other people expect from them, but their expectations for themselves are just as important. So their motto is discipline is my freedom. They tend to like checklists and and calendars. If anything, they can be a little bit rigid because they get a plan, they wanna execute on that plan, it's hard for them to change. Next, your questioners. So questioners question all expectations. They'll do something if they think it makes sense. So they're making everything an inner expectation. If it meets their inner standard, they'll do it. No problem. If it fails their inner standard, they will push back. They don't want to do anything inefficient, unjustified, arbitrary, unreasonable. So their motto is I'll comply if you convince me why. Then, and that's the second largest obligers, the largest questioner, second largest. Then there are obligers, your tendency, the biggest tendency. Obligers readily meet outer expectations, but they struggle to meet inner expectations. And I got my insight into this tendency when a friend said to me, you know, I'm happier when I exercise. And when I was on, in high school, I was on the track team and I never missed track practice. So why can't I go running now? Well, right. same, t- same person, same behavior. Why not? Well, when she had a team and a coach expecting her to show up, No problem. When she's trying to go on her own, she struggles. The bottom line for obligers, the biggest takeaway, is if you want to meet an inner expectation, create outer accountability. You want to read more, join a book group. You want to work out, work out with a trainer, work out with a friend who's going to be annoyed if you don't show up. Raise money for a charity that's really important to you. Think of your duty to your future self. There's a million ways to create outer accountability. Um, But obligers, as you say, are great at coming through for others. They're the rock of the world. So their motto is... You can count on me and I'm counting on you to count on me. And then finally, rebels. So that's the smallest group, conspicuous, but small. Rebels resist outer and inner expectations alike. They want to do what they want to do in their own way, in their own time. They can do anything they want to do, anything they choose to do. Mm-hmm. But if you ask or tell them to do something, they're very likely to resist. And typically they don't tell themselves what to do. Like they don't decide I'm going to take a yoga class at 10 a.m. on Saturday morning because they think, I don't know what I want to do on Saturday morning. And just the idea I'm supposed to do something, is going to annoy me. So their motto is, you can't make me and neither can I. Mm. So those are the four tendencies.
1: I definitely want to d- dive into that. And I just was like, as I was hearing you specifically describe the uh, obliger, I was like, you know, I've been trying to get into to breath work for, for years, because that's been one of the things that obviously there's a lot of science and research that has worked for so many people. But I found that I can't get into a routine by myself, but I have no problem going to a friend of mine's house. I'm actually going there tomorrow to do it with him because he holds me accountable when I'm doing breath work. There you
0: go. Perfect example.
1: And as a trainer, I've been a trainer for over a decade. I've seen that there's a lot more people that see results when they work out in groups because of the competitive nature, they don't want to let other people down. If they see that their friend's coming, they want to make sure that they're going to be there. And because I've noticed that if they ask if somebody else is going to cancel and if they cancel, then they're like, well, I'm not coming. I'm like, no, you're coming, you know? So this all all makes sense.
0: Well, in fact, I remember I was talking to uh, somebody at like a fancy New York gym and she was saying how at their gym, they were, as the trainers were told to say, I'll be here next time. And now they say, I'll see you next time because even that creates this kind of reminder of accountability. I expect to see you, you know, I want you to, I want to see you in my class. It's not like I'm just here when you're ready. It's like I'm expecting you to come to class. So I think it can be very, very powerful for obligers.
1: Yeah. And and I would also say that I think it probably will give some people some hope because they, they're probably hearing this and saying, Oh, like this now makes total sense. Absolutely.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean people because people because the thing is, upholder, maybe you've heard this, upholders, rebels, and questioners will often say, Look, you don't need to take a class, you don't need to join Weight Watchers. Like, just go for a run in the morning on your own. Like set your priorities, get clear on what you want, take time for yourself. If this is important to you, you'll do it. Like just just do it, and a blazer's like, "Well, what's wrong with me?" And it's like, mm. that's the biggest group of people. So many people uh, like have this thing. It's not a big deal. There's so many ways to create outer accountability once you realize that's what you need. And as you say, don't get discouraged by it or feel or feel bad about it. It's just it's the way some people operate. It has good sides and bad sides. Just deal with it. And yeah, I think people feel tremendously relieved when they realize a) they're not alone, and this is like very common, and b). There's a lot of things to do, which will allow you to succeed, even if you failed by, like, oh, I'm just going to get up and go for a run every morning. It's like, no, nah, yeah, probably not. Probably not going to do that breath work, Doug, right. on yeah. your own, you <laughs> know? Not. So, like, let's just figure this out and get you where you want to go.
1: Yeah. And and I think also that that people will begin to understand like how they can, like once they develop some sense of awareness, they feel empowered and they can be like, okay, like what are some actions that I can take now within this tendency, within this personality type that now has, I mean, essentially I think I've heard you say has been ingrained in you from, from the, the day you were born to yeah. how you are going to operate. So other than like taking the quiz and just say that now they have some like, Baseline understanding of what their tendency is. How can somebody begin to use that to their advantage and build better habits that work for them?
0: Yeah. Well, once you know your once you know your tendency, well, then that really suggests what tools are gonna are likely to be more successful. So, like upholders, upholders don't really have problems making habits; like they're good at it. That's one of the nice things about being an upholder. I say that as an upholder. So, things like the strategy of monitoring, the strategy of scheduling, th- that tends to work very well for upholders. For questioners, it's all about why, why am I doing this? So they need like clarity, the strategy of clarity. Why am I doing it this way? I mean, I'm sure you run into this all the time. Why am I listening to you? Why am I doing it this way? Why am I doing this in the morning instead of at night? Why am I doing it 10 times instead of 20 times? They love to customize. And so if you're if you're a questioner, you want to say, like, I really want to get clear about why I'm doing what I'm doing, why it's the right thing for me and why I believe this is, you know, this is this is the most efficient and best solution. Obligers create that outer accountability. That is the key. I mean, I I think that of all the uses of the tendencies for obligers to realize that that is the crucial thing that they need to plug in. That's that that is a, a game changer for them. And then Rebels, like, you know, Rebels is the most different from the other three. And and they often don't benefit from using tools that other ones use. Like the strategy of scheduling often does not work for Rebels. They like to be spontaneous. They don't like to feel locked in so they can resist like having something on the calendar. For them, it's identity. It's the strategy of identity. I work out not because you told me to, not because I signed up for this class, not because my doctor told me to. I am d- doing this because I'm an athlete. I've always been an athlete. I love to use my body. I love to feel strong and energetic. And I've kind of gotten away from that over the last couple of years. But I'm getting back into it because I'm an athlete or an artist or a reliable parent or a responsive boss or an animal lover or an environmentalist or you know whatever it is. When a rebel feels like something is part of their identity, then they will do anything to execute, to put that identity out into the world. So for them, that's very, very powerful.
1: Yeah, I was going to ask, because I was like, "All right, well, how do you help somebody who's a rebel and get things done if they're just kind of against everything? But I think well, from what, I, what I'm understanding, you almost have to make them feel like it's their idea.
0: Well, that right. can sometimes work. But I, I, what I will say is that a lot of times upholders, questioners and obligers actually make things worse for a rebel. Hmm. If you ask or tell a rebel to do something, if you even remind or nudge or encourage them to do something, you can ignite the spirit of resistance. And so sometimes they might be perfectly intending to do something. Like, let's say, OK, I'm a rebel and I'm like, I'm getting up and I'm like, you know what? I, I kind of feel like I feel kind of restless. I should go for a run today. And then, Doug, you come to me and you say, now, Gretchen, don't you think today would be a good day for a run? I mean, you have a free morning. Don't you think you should go for a run? I'm going to be like, no, I'm not going to go for a run. Mm. Right? I'm not going to do what you tell me to do. Like, get out, get out of my way. Don't tell me what to do. Like, it, and sometimes with some rebels, even praising them, saying, it's so great you went for a run. It's like, I know. I'm not. Like, somebody said to me, he had started taking medication regularly. And then his daughter said to him, it's so great. You're finally listening to doctor's orders. And he's like, you think I'm letting the doctor order me around? No. <laughs> So, you know, so you want to know if someone is a rebel, if it's you who's the rebel, because if you are a rebel, you want to remind yourself, you don't want to be controlled by anybody, even in the negative. Don't let them control you by telling you to do something that then you refuse to do. If that's what you want, you want to stay focused on what you want, what you choose, what works for you. But you also might think, well, spontaneity and and variety tend to work better for rebels. So I'm not going to sign up for a class at a gym. Maybe I'll I'll go to a big gym that has all different kinds of exercises. And today I do cardio because I'm in the mood for cardio. Today I do yoga because I'm in the mood for yoga. And today I do strength training because I'm in the mood for strength training. Maybe that works better for you. Sometimes rebels will like exercise during the workday. So they feel like they're doing they're getting away with something that's okay too. You know, so you want to you tailor your approach to your tendency so that you do harness the strengths of your tendency and you don't get tripped up by the weaknesses of your tendency.
1: Yeah, I think certainly developing a lot of awareness and going internal about these tendencies can obviously um, play a major role in, in building better habits and having success long term. And I would also think that just somebody taking this test and just understanding the four tendencies can help them understand even their own personal relationships, better relationships in the workplace. Maybe somebody they might not want to date if they can just tell that, I mean, maybe they they find out that this person that they haven't been getting along with in a relationship is a rebel. I mean, I'm talking somebody like early stages of dating. I'm not talking like a long-term marriage, but you know, they're like a rebel and they're like, you know, like Maybe long term, this probably won't work for me. If this person's personality is somebody who goes against everything, and I'm somebody who likes to come up with ideas, I'm like some I'm somebody who likes to be innovative. I mean, it's probably not going to work long. Have you have you seen that? We will get you back to this episode of the Adversity Advantage in just one second. But first, wanted to let you know that this podcast is brought to you by Athletic Greens. I cannot tell you how much better I feel, how much better I function and work when I take this product. It goes into my daily smoothie along with various other superfoods every single day. And ever since I started taking it, I got to say that I have noticed improvements in my digestion. I've noticed improvements in my energy and even in my immune system. But like many of you, I am on the go so much between interviews, personal training clients and the podcast that I want to maximize my health in the most efficient way. This is where Athletic Greens helps me tremendously. It is a life-changing, life-changing superfood powder, and each serving contains 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food source ingredients, including a multivitamin, multi-mineral, probiotic, green superfood blend, and more that all work together to fill the nutritional gaps in your diet and keep you feeling your best. Athletic Greens is doubling down on supporting your immune system with everything going on in the world right now. So they are offering my audience a free one-year supply of vitamin D, which many people are deficient in yet is crucial for immune system support. And they are also giving away five free travel packs with your first purchase if you visit my link today. So you'll basically never have to buy vitamin D again. So simply visit athleticgreens.com forward slash Doug. Again, simply visit athleticgreens.com forward slash Doug and get your free year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs today. Now back to the show.
0: Well, one of the the most dominant pattern that you see among the tendencies is that if one person is a rebel um, and they're paired up either in romance or uh, in the workplace, like they're a founding team or something, if one person is a rebel, almost always the other person is an obliger. That's by far the dominant pattern. I wouldn't say never. I've seen right. other examples, but there's sort of usually a few special categories that those fall into. But overwhelmingly, if one person's a rebel, another person's an obliger. So I think I think you're right. Like, but here's an example of how it might come up where you, you would understand why somebody might be really annoying you, but then have more compassion when you understand. OK, questioners. One of the things that often comes up with questioners is like they want to have they want to ask questions. They don't want to do something just because you tell them to like they want to understand why as a consequence, the questioners often will drain and overwhelm others with their questionings. If I'm a thin-skinned boss and you're asking me a lot of questions, I might start to feel like you're questioning my authority. If you keep asking me que- like, I say, hey, let's go for Italian, and you're like, why Italian? Why that Italian? Why do you want to eat Uptown? It's like, I what am I like in the, de- am I like, are you an investigative journalist who's, like, interviewing me? Like, am I on the witness stand? Like, it yeah. can make people feel very kind of a- defensive and, and 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 unsettled or just Tired because it can be very tiring. But when you know someone's a questioner, you can be like, oh, that's just like it might be kind of annoying, but it's not aimed at me. It hasn't, it has nothing to do with our relationship. It's just the way they are. And there's good aspects to it as well. And you can maybe figure out well, if I work with a questioner who's like this, you could say like, well, why don't you put that in writing? I think it'll be easier for us all to manage it if we see it written down instead of like your hand being up for like an hour and a half in a conference call. Or you can, you know, you know there's different, you can put limits on it, you can put deadlines on it to control the questioning. And so I think when you you understand where people are coming from, it, it makes it less personal. You don't feel like yeah. this is something that's between the two of us. It's just like, that's the way you are. Okay, Okay, you know, like upholders can be very rigid and kind of judgmental. And now you're just like, OK, it's just like it's hard for an upholder to ch- my family will often be like, yeah, it's hard for you to, like, change plans at the last minute. Like, you really don't want to change plans, but we really need to change this plan. And I'm like, yeah, OK, I know I don't like to change plans, but I'm going to do it. You know, it gives you sort of that, uh, that insight into yourself and kind of patterns in your behavior or in someone else's behavior.
1: Mm. Yeah, so the next time I'm watching a movie with somebody and they keep asking me like, "What's going to happen next?" I'm going to say, "Stop being a questioner."
0: (laughs) Well, that's not really being a questioner. (laughs) A questioner is like, "Why?" Yeah, why? Why? Why is that? Yeah, yeah.
1: So yeah, I think it's it's really fascinating because I've obviously you know paid attention to different personality tests over the years and Myers Briggs and how they affect people in the workplace and in relationships and attachment styles. And it makes sense, like this whole the whole notion of the rebel being more attracted to an obliger and vice versa, because of the whole polarity thing, right? It's
0: well, it's not so much polarity because rebels and upholders are really the most opposite. It's really that the it really is on the obliger side more. Okay, so obligers are the type O. They are the type. They are the tendency that pairs up the most easily with all three tendencies. Upholders and rebels tend to really not work together well or live together well because they just see the world in a completely different way. I put no value on spontaneity, but rebels highly value spontaneity. I really want to execute on my plan. Rebels want to like do it by the seat of their pants, you know, and then questioners are like, well, why are you doing this? And rebels are like, because I feel it because this is what I want. And questioners can get very, very exasperated with that. Like in the workplace, if you have a questioner working for a rebel, the rebel comes in one day and is like, I have a whole new vision for the, where we're taking this company. And the questioner's like, well, why? Why, why aren't we doing the old vision? Why are you doing, the, and, and, and they just annoy each other. But an obliger, see, obligers feel this pressure of outer, uh, outer expectation. They feel it very intensely. But the rebel says, hey, Doug, we can ignore that. Let's go away, Your family. They're too demanding. I say, let's go off and have Thanksgiving by ourselves. Come with me, and the and the obligers like, yeah, that sounds great. I'll go with you. So they're kind of excited by the freedom that the rebel feels because they have that weight of outer expectation on them. Sometimes it can be difficult to manage, but often for obligers, there's a real benefit to the rebel freedom and that rebel spirit. It's a relief and exciting for an obliger. And so that's what makes them a good pair. It's really more on the obliger side than on the rebel side.
1: Yeah. And I'm even like thinking now, looking back to, I mean, I've been in recovery from, from drugs for 12 and a half years. And I'm looking back at like why I used the drugs now. I mean, I kind of know, I know why I did, but just thinking in the context of being a rebel, because there's a lot of people that use drugs, it's like against the law and it's like the the wrong thing to do. So like, Oh, I'm just going to go and just sneak away and do drugs. And like, that's their thing. But as an obliger, I know that outside of using it to mismanage my like, pain, trauma, insecurities, all that sort of thing, I was a main part of it was I was trying to fit in and be mm-hmm. liked and be with a crowd and have some sense of community and, and attach myself to mm-hmm. a group that was, because I was so unhappy with who I was on the inside that I didn't even care what I was doing. to on the, like, I didn't care what I was doing, if it maybe even unha- more unhappy, I just needed to be part of a group. And and just hearing you talk about like talk about these tendencies and and where I fit into all this, it's just it's not enlightening, but it just kind of confirms like a lot of what I already knew. So it's it's fascinating. I mean, it's this is
0: here's another phenomenon about obligers. Tell me if you've experienced this. This is very common for obligers, but they are often very mystified by it. It's obliger rebellion. This is when an obliger meets, 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 meets an expectation. And then suddenly they snap and they're like, This I will not do. Sometimes it's small and funny, like, you know, Doug, I'm just not going to answer your emails for two weeks. I had it with you. Or it's huge. It's like, I'm going to get a divorce. I'm going to quit my job right now, (laughs) right now, right this very minute. And I'm walking out the door tonight or ending a 20 year friendship. And it happens when expectations are overwhelming, when they Mm. can't be managed, when an obliger feels neglected, taken advantage of, exploited, unheard, ignored and it's meant to like blow up a situation that's unsustainable for the obliger. And so sometimes it's beneficial, but sometimes it's very damaging and it can have very serious reputational consequences because other people don't understand what's going on. It's like, Doug, I asked you if you wanted to serve on this committee and you said fine. So I don't understand now why you're so angry and you're quitting because they don't. But once you know about obliger rebellion, you see the building anger, the building resentment, how the person, like they will often say, I'm, I'm acting out of character. I don't recognize myself. Usually I love to do this work. Now, for some reason, I'm spending hours like, you know, reading online news at work instead of working. You can see it coming. And so like, and it's it, like, it's a wonderful life with George Bailey. That's Oblige Rebellion. There's all kinds of examples of Oblige Rebellion once, you know, to look for it. And so sometimes it can blow up a situation that in a good way, but sometimes it can blow up the situation in a bad way. Have you ever experienced anything like that?
1: Put me on the spot. See, so, yeah, I mean, for sure. I mean, maybe not to that extreme where I've like just cut something off or quit a job, so to speak. But a lot
0: of people, for some reason, uh, something I've heard of a lot is people be- in the before times they would sit in their cars in the parking lot to be deliberately late for work. Yeah, that was a I, form of a leisure rebellion.
1: But what I what I ha- what I can say I have done is overcommitted myself and put so many people first that event that eventually I just get so burnt out and overwhelmed that I yeah. just will stop answering my phone. Yes. Or I'll, I'll check yeah. out a little bit yeah. just because I need, I think, but I think it's because more that I gained some awareness that like, dude, like you got to take care of yourself. Like you have to put yourself first. Like you I think at times like a light bulb goes off mm. in my head and it's like, I,
0: I wouldn't, I wouldn't frame oh, it that way. Okay. Wouldn't frame it. You have to put yourself first because that suggests to me, It's a question of outer expectations versus Mm -hmm. inner expectations. It's not a question of putting others first. And this is important. It seems like, oh, this is just like a different way of saying it. I think it's important because what I've done, is I've talked to a lot of obligers where they're like, I need, I can't put myself first given my job situation. So I'm going to take early retirement. Or I know that I'm going to start exercising once my, once I have an empty nest and my kids are off at school, but you know what they find out? It doesn't matter right because because just because the fact that an that an outer expectation has gone away doesn't mean that you now meet an inner expectation you have to have outer outer accountability no matter what so you take early retirement doesn't make a difference in your exercising but then you take a class with a with a trainer who charges you whether you come or not and you go with a friend who's like really annoyed if, if if they're there by themselves that accountability but you could have done that before you retired. You could have done that 10 years ago because it's the outer accountability. So it's not putting people first in terms of like they're more important than me. It's meeting outer accountability that can be put in at any time. It doesn't it doesn't have to be a matter of like who's on top and who's second. You can have them you can have them all happening at once. What you're describing is obliged to rebellion. And one way to say it's like this is really good for me because now I'm taking care of myself. But what if you get fired from your job because you did that? And somebody's like, you know what, Doug? I don't know. I I can't deal with somebody who just ghosts me every, you know, every six months. Just decides to like not answer their email for. I I can't take it. Like I'm an upholder. I expect everything to happen. I don't want to be your babysitter. I don't. I I can't. I can't deal with that kind of ambiguity. I don't understand what you're doing. So then you lose your job. Whereas yeah. what if you had been like. What's going on? I'm feeling burned out. I'm feeling so angry. Everyone's taking advantage of me. All these people are coming at me, and there's more all the time. This is too much. Okay, let's fix that. Let's figure that out right now. Let's let what is people are people are people constantly take advantage of obligers. They feel like they're being exploited. They 100% are upholders, questioners, rebels. We all exploit the obliger, and that's not right. We got to learn not to do that. We got to be fair. Right, don't don't go to the same person just because they're the ones that always say yes. That's not fair. If you're a manager, if you're a coworker, if you're in a family, don't ask the same the kid who's cooperative to do extra chores because the other kids complain and and whine. That's not fair. You know, we got to try to make things fair for each other, and and we got to fix it because when the obliger rebellion sometimes, as you say, it can be very beneficial, can really help an obliger, but sometimes it can be very destructive.
1: Yeah, for sure, and and I and I definitely see what you mean because. Even like for me, it's never I'm always at least lately, ever since I got out of jail and have been in recovery and have made a lot better decisions in my life. I've been really good, even when I'm overwhelmed at Mm -hmm. it being punctual with my job, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because that's something that I take. I at least take pride in it more happens. Mm -hmm. And and it's
0: outer accountability. Right. Right.
1: And it, Yeah, because it, oh, I have a podcast and I have people relying on me to release an episode. I have clients that are relying on me. So that there all makes sense. There you go, sense, right? right? So
0: there you built in all kinds of systems of outer accountability for yourself.
1: But where, where I fall, I don't want to say I fall short, but where I see it happen is definitely in personal relationships and friendships where if I'm burned out and I'm overcommitted, I'll just shut down and maybe I'll just take time during the weekend and just hang out by myself and just just kind of like lounge, but is that.
0: That's a great point. So when you talk, when you think about outer expectations, it's not, they're, they're of a different kind. So there's sort of levels of outer. So for instance, if you're thinking about having an accountability partner, like you want to have a partner to do breath work, often romantic partners, sweethearts and spouses don't make good accountability partners (laughs) for a very romantic reason. It's like, Oh, honey, You're so close to me. You're like me. So I'm going to ignore you just like I would ignore me. So it could be that for you, like friends and family members are kind of inner. And you're like, yeah, I told my friend that I was going to meet him and go for a run. But you know what? I'm going to blow that off because he's inner. But you're like, I wouldn't blow off a client because that's outer. And so it can shift. And, And sometimes like you could have a thing where your own children could be outer in terms in relation to like your spouse, but inner in relation to to a client. So you're like, I'll, right. I'll ignore what my children, what I said, I, I told my children I'd be home by six, but my client wants me to stay late. I'll stay late. But if my wife wants me to do something and my kids want to go for a bike ride, I'm going to do what my kids want because I told them yes. So so it, it's not always consistent, it, it's relative. And so you may be experiencing that these kind of strangers or like clients, customers, students, listeners, audience are outer. And then the people close to you Are are inner for you, but sometimes you can. There's workarounds around that too, because obligers are so ingenious. They figured out all kinds of ways to work around that kind of thing.
1: Yeah, and I guess in the way I think of it, just in in a logical sense, like if I stop producing podcast episodes and I stop releasing podcast episodes, you know, I'm going to lose sponsorships. I'm going to lose listeners you know, people might not come on my show because they're like, this person's, he's sporadic. He only he doesn't even release episodes on a consistent schedule. I I mean, I can go on and on with this domino effect. And then the same with my, obviously with my training business, if I just stop showing up for my clients, it's not going to go well. But in the context of like my friendships, if I just tell a friend that, Hey, I'm just tired. I I don't want to go out. Like he's not, I don't see he or she defriending me because of that situation. Right. So there's no like major accountability. Whereas if, if that person was, if I was married, I could see it. I could see being having to have more accountability to that because my relationship is more intimate and would depend on me spending time with my spouse. Do you, is there? Do you see a difference in that? What I'm explaining, I don't know if I'm getting at anything, but just trying to differentiate. I guess the level of accountability. In personal relationships between being in an intimate relationship, like like a, a marriage or something super significant, versus just friendships.
0: Well, sometimes sometimes you can use a romantic relationship as expectation. But as I was saying, often it doesn't really work as expectation. It's too inner. It's too intimate. It's too close. And the way this comes up is a lot of times like I was talking to somebody and she's like, I'm really, really hurt, you know, because for years I've been saying to my husband, you need to lose weight. You need to exercise. You need to go to the doctor. You're in terrible shape. It's just really upsetting to me. I don't understand why you're not like you just need to deal with your health. And mm. he ignored me for years. And then one day his boss comes in and is like, hey, Jim, you look like crap. You got drop some weight. Get on the treadmill. Get to a doctor. Get your blood work done. We've got too much going on. I can't have you like collapsing on the floor. And the guy goes off to the doctor, starts exercising, loses weight, you know, does it all. Mm. And the wife is like, he doesn't care about me. Right. I, what I think doesn't matter to him. He one conversation with the boss is, is gets him to act when nothing that I said mattered. And I'm like, it's not that at all. You're too close. You're right. in her. You're so close to his heart. It doesn't count as an outer expectation. The boss does. Now, it might annoy you. You might wish that you'd figured out a way to work around this years before. But it's not because he doesn't love you or doesn't have consideration for what you think. It's just the, it's just what you're pointing out. It's, it's, the, it's how outer expectations hit an obliger differently from inner expectations. And mm-hmm. so when you present as an inner expectation, it's gonna get ignored. So you need to find the outer. So what she could have done is like, you know, figured out a way to have that outer, that message come from the outside more, because it can be, it can be confusing if people don't understand why they're acting certain ways in certain situations and others in other situations. I mean, to me, usually it's very clear once you look at it through kind of, it's from this perspective, this outer and inner expectation.
1: Yeah, for sure. And that example you just used, I mean, it's just, it's very repeatable, I guess, in the, in the way you could tell it, because I know it's happened for me where I've had people that are super close to me, for instance, like tell me about the power of meditation, for instance. And I know the power of meditation. I mean, just through the years of being in the industry and talking to people, but people have been like, yeah, you got to meditate. You got to meditate. And then I go to a conference or I go to a seminar once yeah. And I see somebody about meditation. I come home and I'm like, I'm going to meditate. Yeah. And the person's like, I've been telling you this for yeah, six there years. You go, right? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes you have to hear it from the outside. Yeah, absolutely.
1: So have you personally seen like struggles with yourself being in the industry of personal development, podcasting, writing that's has such an emphasis on be having a growth mindset and being adaptable and, and changing that where you've had a struggle with, with your rigid with the rigidness and in your tendency type to being like, I don't want to change. I don't want to try. Have you seen any of that?
0: Well, the, the, I have to say that the biggest um, hurdle came years ago, which was, I, I did something that a lot, like a lot of people who do this kind of stuff are upholders mm. because upholders love it and they're really good at it. So right. they're like, so what they'll do it. And I fell into this myself, but like, this works really well for me. It's going to work really well for you. If it's not working for you, I don't know what your problem is. You yeah. just need to do more like just follow what I say. And I used to think things like, oh, if people just went to bed on time, they could be morning people. Everybody should get up at 6 a.m. It's great. And now what I had to learn was like, no, just because something works for me does not mean it works for someone else. You don't have to change. Let's set things up in a different way so you it, it can suit you. I'm often blinded by my own perspective, and I don't like... I have gained tremendously from from really, really going deep into the rebel tendency because their emphasis on freedom has has just been so enlightening to me as an upholder, because like just just realize you're more free than you think. Right. You're making a lot more decisions than you think. And so so that's been so that was a big thing for me. To understand as to my rigidity, it's funny because upholders, we do not feel rigid. We feel we feel comforted by executing. And it's funny, like I saw this during the pandemic. So a lot of times when people are under stress, they kind of say to themselves, I'm going to lighten the load a little bit. I'm I'm not going to put myself under so much pressure. I'm going to maybe ease up here and there. And that comforts them. But for an upholder it's very unsettling to be told to do that and like I often say to people like if you have an upholder child sometimes people will say like oh honey like so we've got so much going on I know your teacher wants to you to read for half an hour every night but you should take a night off that's very unsettling to an upholder they feel reassured and comforted by kind of executing on the plan and so like during the whole pandemic period I was more consistent with my habits because I found that comforting and reassuring to me it made me feel like in control of myself and like doing things But I had to realize, but that's not true for everyone. I can't say to everybody, look, if you just exercise every single day, you'll feel better. It's like, no, that's not how people are. It might be true for me, it might be true for someone else, but some other circumstance might be better for them. And so I really have to discipline myself not to see what I expect to see and not to see my own life and expect everybody else to have the same, but to truly listen to people And here, like when I wrote the happiness project, I was so confused. This was before I understood the four tendencies. People would say to me, well, how did you get yourself to do follow all those resolutions? And I would I would say like very cheerfully, I'd be like, well, I just decided what I thought would work. And then I tried it. And if it made me happier, I just kept doing doing it. And then they'd look really puzzled and they'd be like, but how did you get yourself to do it? Mm. And I was like, I don't understand your question. (laughs) What does that even mean? But it puzzled me for years. And now I understand they're obligers or questioners or rebels who are like, probably not questioners. Probably those were rebels and obligers who were like, how did you get yourself to do it? Because for mm-hmm. an upholder, that was not the hard part. But for right. them, that is a challenge. So yeah. I had to understand, like, they're asking me a question. That means that they have, they're, they're facing a challenge that I don't face. So what's the answer? It's on me to figure that out.
1: Right, right. I mean, because you're like the, the the thoroughbred, like type A. Just like I'm gonna get it done, and just like just do it. Like, like why are you asking me how I did it? Like, just do it. It's just just I, that simple. I right? I didn't
0: even know. But you know what's <laughs> funny? There are slacker upholders. I've met like people think that upholders are like high achievers. Well, sometimes they are because they're good at kind of like executing. But some upholders like they don't ask much of themselves. Anything they ask of themselves, they do, but they don't ask much of themselves. And it's kind of a funny little niche, you know? It's like there's nothing necessarily about being an upholder that makes a person ambitious or, or you know, high-performing. It's just that they do what they expect of themselves or what others expect from them. So they could put themselves in a place where there just really aren't that many expectations. And they're fine with that.
1: (laughs) So I want to kind of pivot into your podcast because... I think it's it's awesome that because I think at the end of the day, here's the thing. At least in, in my understanding, in my this is my opinion, could be wrong. That that pe- one of the biggest things people want in life they want to be able to get up in the morning, look in the mirror, and be happy with the person they see in the mirror.
0: Oh, so true. Yeah. Right at so the end of the day, true. that's what they want. Profound.
1: Yeah. So, like in your in all your work and interviewing so many amazing people on your show, like I know that everything obviously is is very individual when it comes to habits, when it comes to behavior, when it comes to like what works for them, as we've talked about. But what are some of the common themes you've Mm -hmm. seen with the people that you've interviewed to help that they've used to become the happiest version of themselves?
0: Well, if you were to say like, what is the secret to happiness? I think there's sort of two ways you could answer that depending on sort of what angle you took to the question. So one, ancient philosophers and contemporary scientists agree that Relationships are a key to happiness. Mm -hmm. To be happy, we have to have intimate, enduring bonds. We have to feel like we can confide. We have to feel like we can get support, and just as important that we can give support. And, And like you were talking about earlier, we have to feel like we belong. Right, Like that desire to belong is so important to happiness. And so that is just a crucial thing. So whenever you're talking to people about how to be happier, healthier, more productive, more creative, what you see is that anything that deepens relationships or broadens relationships tends to make people happier. And so that's a big theme in terms of like what works. Another thing that works, and this is what we were talking about for such a long time, which is self-knowledge, which is the idea like each of us has to. There's no magic one size fits all solution. We each have to figure it out for ourselves. We each have to think about our own interests, our own nature, our own temperament, our own tendency and figure out how to do it in the way that's right for us. And when you look at the people who are the happiest or the healthiest or the most successful or the most creative, it's the people who figured out themselves. It's not that everybody should get up at 6 a.m., but that everybody should figure out, like, when are you at your most productive and creative? can you figure out a way to shape your life to suit you so that you can do your best work? Those are the people. And there's, you've probably seen this book daily rituals by Mason Curry. Fascinating book. He just looks at like uh, almost 200 people, you know, artists, athletes, musicians, choreographers, scientists. And he's like, what are their daily habits look like? And what you see is some people go to bed early and some people stay up late and some people drink a vodka and some people drink coffee and some people, work in the middle of a bustling studio and some people work in a shed where no one can talk to them. What you realize is all these high performers have figured out what do I need and how do I get it? How do I get what I need? How do I create, build a life around what works for me? And so I think for all of us, it's like, what makes me happier? I can't just like, you know, download a one page PDF from the internet and then go do it. (laughs) I got to figure it out. It's the great challenge of our lives.
1: Yeah. And I, and I think you're right. It's, and I, and I think it's number one, it's it's crucial that 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 people pay attention to what we talked about for a majority of the conversation, which is this deep introspection, the self knowledge yes, to really yes. getting clear yes, and yes. aware on like who we are as people so that we can figure out like what works for us, what types of people we thrive being yeah. around the best.
0: Oh, that's in, in fact, you've mentioned that a couple of times. And I want to say that's one of the strategies and the 21 strategies is the strategies of other the strategy of other people, because we are so susceptible to the habits of the people around us, exactly. If, even things like if one partner in a romantic partner gets diabetes, the other one's more likely to get diabetes. Yeah, like you, you've you've mentioned that. It's worth really highlighting how how important that it, we think of just ourselves as actors, but we're in a kind con, social context that's powerful.
1: Yeah, and I, and one of the things I say often is your environment can create a false sense of normalcy. Yes. Uh, right.
0: So true.
1: Because, you know, if you think about like, I'm just looking at it from an addiction side. When I, if you're around, if say a person goes to the bar and they drink every single day from like nine to five, every day they're in there getting drunk and they come home and their spouse is like, you're drinking every day. You need to go to rehab. You have a problem. And the person's like, I don't have a problem. Like everybody else is doing it because everybody else is doing it. Everybody else has a drinking problem. But then the alternative can be if you're around a community of people that are aligned with who you want to be in the future. And they're, they have great habits and they're healthy or whatever it is that you like want to achieve. Like that's going to be your new normal. Yes. And you see it time and time again, where yes. people get like sucked into their environment because they think that's how life should be based on the people that are around them.
0: Well, and now I feel like it's it's happening virtually as well because so I, like, one of the things about me is I quit sugar. Well, basically I really don't eat carbs. So I'm one of those like bonkers people that you talk to who like eats a very, very low carb diet. So a friend of mine was saying to me, she's like, but here's the thing. How can a person possibly resist sugar? Because it's like every time you go on Facebook, it's like image after image of gooey, delicious, luscious desserts. And I'm like, I don't see that in my Facebook feed. Yeah, I don't get that information. I don't get those prompts. I don't see those cues. And I don't even know why. Is it because I'm not being tracked By big food? Is it because my friends are the kind, as you were saying, I'm hanging out with the kind of people who don't tend to post that. I don't even know enough about how Facebook algorithms work to know, but I'm just like, your reality is not my reality, but you feel like you are in the, you are in the one reality, but we are all in our own reality. You can, you can see the desserts on Facebook. You can be with the drinkers in the bar. And while that is your environment, it's very hard to realize there's other ways to live. Like you just, it's very hard to keep that in mind. Um, I think it's very hard to keep that in mind, to be aware of it, even to even be consciously aware of it.
1: Yeah, you're right. Cause I think like, even you're seeing that now with even the news, like the people are, you know, basing their views based on whatever news channel they watch or whatever they see on social media. I mean, you can just, you're, it just becomes like, you become almost like ingrained in this silo, just based on yeah. what you see every single day. And that's why I think it's just so important to be able to take time getting aware of yourself and and just being able to have compassion for people who are different than you. Because at the end yeah. of the day, like we, just because you we disagree on something doesn't mean that person is necessarily bad or bad for you. You really have to look at like, like what kind of choices they're making, what kind of behaviors they're they're doing? How do they treat you, and then make an assessment based on that, right? Well,
0: and and earlier you were talking about thinking about the past, and I think yeah. kind of an aspect of the past is to say, who do I, who when I'm with certain people, who do I feel good about how that whole thing un, un- unraveled, you know, happened? And then are there people where it kind of ends badly? You know, are there people who bring out the best in me, or kind of where where I want to be going? And then people where who make that harder. So when we look at the past, I think a very significant thing is who are the, who are the people that we were engaging with, like when I was hanging out with this friend or when I was in this kind of work environment or, you know, it just even like I was watching a TV show that got me really excited about nature. And like that made me go hiking on the weekends more. And now that I'm now that I've watched that whole nature you know documentary and I'm watching something else, I've kind of lost that like prompt or that cue or that kind of being part of that scene. Yeah.
1: Well, yeah. And then I think it also comes down to like, again, we've been saying this for the whole conversation is really developing self awareness around Mm -hmm. like what you like and also like how you feel around certain things. So if you're Mm -hmm. somebody like as a trainer, one of the questions I get asked all the time is, so what's the best workout program? And my answer is always the same. It's whatever one you'll stick to. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Because I can tell you what my, in my experience, what works, doesn't mean it's going to work for you. doesn't mean you're going to do it. Like I could tell somebody to go work out five days a week, do strength training, do some high intensity cardio, get a couple runs in eat. Well, I could say that works for me, but yeah, that that, the the, the person listening, they might be like, I just, they might just like doing yoga. And I'm like,
0: whenever anybody asks you something like that, I always want to answer by saying, what's the best way to cook an egg. Right. It depends on what kind of eggs you like. Yeah. There's no one best way who could say that. I know. Yeah, but, but, and yeah, I think people do want to be told like, this is the best way. And it's just, it just, it's just not possible. You're exactly right. It's whatever works for you. Well, I don't know about you, but one thing, maybe this is a pull rigidity rigidity, but one thing that I've had to really get over is if something's working really well for someone, not to suggest that there's a better way. Because I'm like, whatever they're doing is working with them. And like I know, but the questioner, if I if I create uncertainty about whether what they're doing is the best way, maybe they'll stop. Or if I'm an obliger, I might get in there and somehow there's some way this is tapping into their, their psyche that's working. And just the most subtle change of language could end it. So once somebody's like, oh, I have a really great system, I'm like, awesome. I am not going to weigh in with my own views of like my own theories, of which I have many, clearly. Because if it's working for you, as you say, that's the most important thing. If you feel good about what you're doing and it's getting you to achieve your aim, then it's working. Mm. And there's no, that's the best way.
1: Absolutely. And the the last thing I'll say on this before I ask you my last question is that I think one of the other important aspects of understanding these tendencies is knowing how you show up for other people and like what not to Mm. say to somebody, right? Yes. Because yes. like you just said, like you're, you've are you got a, you've gotten super aware and deep on like maybe some of the, not down, I want to say downfalls, but maybe it's not a downfall for you, but could be a downfall in a relationship oh. based on how you treat somebody. No, I'll
0: give you a great example of this. And it's an obliger example. And you're an obliger. So my mother's an obliger. She just told me this last week. So she had a knee operation and she had all these, this physical therapy exercise that she was supposed to do. And she had a PT person. So of course she was doing it every day the way she was supposed to, because she's an obliger and she wanted to do it. So then one day the physical therapist said, well, you know, I don't expect you to do these every day. Mm. And my mother never did them again.
1: Wow. That's crazy! Yeah. It's because just-
0: somehow this woman just with this offhand comment, somehow it just released the expectation. And my mother went from being a totally uncomplaining, kind of unquestioning right or wrong. A question would be like, why are you doing them every day? That's a waste of your time. You know what I mean? You can see how they would all react. But for whatever reason, she was doing it. And now she's that. So yeah. She would have to create a whole new system of outer accountability to do that because somebody just made this offhand comment. So we do need to be very careful with each other and, and show compassion because we wanna help each other.
1: Yeah, and I think at the end of the day, that's in, for, in order for us to be to be happy, I know one of the things that has been a staple in your message over the years is, is making other people happy. Mm-hmm. Right. And, mm-hmm. and making sure that, you know, we're happy, they're happy, because I think at the end of the day, like if we want to be- build deep, meaningful relationships, yeah. I think it starts with obviously building a good relationship within ourselves, becoming really aware and then how we show up and treat other people. Right. Well,
0: my sister calls me a happiness bully.
1: <laughs> <'Cause> she- why?
0: <laughs> well, because I can if I think there's a way for you to get happier, I can get pretty insistent. I mean, that's why I've had to try to school myself to like hold back because. I will like rush in with like, you should read this book and you should try this. And I have a great hack for you. And but it comes from a place of love. But I think it's better to be more enthusiastic about trying to help people be happier than less. But of course, I have I have a little bit biased on that question. Yeah. Uh, but generally, we do want to make other people. That's one of the nicest things about human nature. We're happier when we make other people. It's one of the best ways to make yourself happy is to make other people happier. It is a, a, one of the nicest things about human nature.
1: Well, and that's why when like you're having a bad day, it's like so great to go out and help somebody or check yes. on a friend. Or... Oh,
0: it always works. Do good. Feel good.
1: <laughs> yes. So my, my, last, my last question for you is, is this is so for you personally, like imagine like you're having like a really bad day or maybe like a couple podcast guests cancel or something didn't happen the way you wanted it to. And you're just like in a rut. Like, what are some things personally you do to kind of brighten your mood,
0: mm-hmm. to make
1: yourself happier so that you can not only be a better version for yourself, but for your family and those around
0: you? Well, I live right near Central Park, so I might go for a walk in Central Park, which I love. And it's also exercising, getting sunlight in my face. And I might take my dog Barnaby with me and, you know, being my dogs make us happier. I love to read. I love to reread. And I love children's literature. So kind of if I'm despondent, you know, if I'm like need comforting, i I might reread one of my favorite books from childhood or like a young adult novel. I still love it as an adult. And so I might go read, you know, the golden compass or little women or Ramona and the, Ramona, the past, or usually the, the worse I feel, the younger I go. So mm. if I'm reading, you know, B is for Betsy, it's pretty bad. So I would do that. I would like att- call my sister, you know, she's the co-host of the happier uh, yeah, yeah. podcast with me. And she always cheers me up. So I might call my sister she, or my husband. I would call my husband. And now, you know, now it's because of the pandemic. He's just like in the next room. So I'll just go in and hang out with him for a few minutes. And that always kind of cheers me up. Sometimes together, we'll go take Barnaby for a walk. If we, bo- if we feel like we both need a lift, that's a, really, that's a really nice thing to do. Just go for a short walk with a dog and get out, get, get some motion, get out in the weather. That always makes me feel better.
1: That's awesome, and I love how you have like such deep awareness around that. Because I always tell people, like, people will ask me, like, well, "What do you, what do I do if I'm in a rut?" And I, I say it comes down to like essentially three A's. It comes down to awareness, like being aware of how you're feeling, like, like yes. why and yes, and then acceptance is the second A because I feel like so many people they spiral even worse because they're like, "Why am I feeling this way? Like, I shouldn't be depressed. I shouldn't be stressed." Like but it doesn't yeah. like, just accepting that, that, that part of life is having these ebbs and flows of, of your yeah. mood and energy levels. And then, yes. you know, the thir- and the third piece, and I think it's, it's obviously is obviously as important is action and yeah. taking act, like doing yeah. things that will make you feel better, but that are also aligned with the healthiest version of yourself. Like, so yeah. I'm not like saying like, Oh yeah, go just go drink yourself to oblivion to make yourself yeah. feel better. Like do things that you actually like that will make you feel better in a way yeah. that's healthy.
0: Yeah, you don't want to do something to make yourself feel feel better that in the end just makes you feel worse. You really have to. Well, I really think um, one of the strategies of habit change, the most popular strategy is the strategy of treats. Mm. And this is the idea that we really should treat ourselves and we should have a long list of healthy treats so that when you do when you are in a rut or you do feel like after the day I've had, I deserve a little something. It's like, well, what is that little something? because it's easy to reach for a beer or brownie or like online shopping. But it's like I love crossword puzzles. I love jigsaw puzzles. I love downloading new music. I love, you know, my favorite podcast. I'm going to change. I'm going to save it for every week when I have to go to that horrible staff meeting that always puts me in a bad mood. I'll save that podcast episode so I have something a treat afterward. There's a lot of ways we can give ourselves healthy treats, but we, we kind of have to have them kind of a menu of them, I think, in advance, because it is really easy to to reach for the things that, as you say, in the end, don't serve us well. And and that just that's not good.
1: Right. I mean, cause in the short term, it feels good. In the long term, you yeah. wake up. Like, Why did I do that?
0: Worse. <laughs> <Of course>. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: Well, well, Gretchen, I this has been awesome. I've thoroughly enjoyed talking to you. I think the listeners are gonna get so much out of this between what you shared on happiness, what you shared about tendencies, and really going deep into each of those and how people can relate to that and develop more awareness and, and take better steps in developing better habits and behaviors to help them essentially just become better human beings and Yangs. Yeah, at the end of the day, like I said, that's what we all want. We all want, we all want to be able to look in the mirror and just be happy and know that we're, we're giving it our best and that we're actually part of some community and contributing to society in a way that's productive. So where can people find out more about you? I know that the, the podcast obviously is the happier it's called with Gretchen yeah. Rubin is everywhere podcasts are held. Like where else can people find out more about you?
0: Um, yeah. On my website, Gretchen Um, that you can read about my books. You can read, you know, I have a lot of posts there. I have a lot of free resources, all kinds of checklists and, discussion guides. And I have a like a checklist for habit change. And if you want to learn more about the tendencies, there's all kinds of kind of nutshell guides there. The quiz, if people want to take the quiz is at quiz.gretchenrubin.com. I have a whole book on the four tendencies. And I also have a workshop and an online course, like because people always want to know more about the tendencies. And I'm on social media everywhere. My handle is Gretchen Rubin. And I love to hear questions and insights and comments from people. So I love to engage I feel like the world is my research assistant. So I love to hear from people. And uh, yeah, and then in my books, like The Happiness Project or Better Than Before, it's kind of where I, I lay out all my my theories at great, greater length.
1: Amazing. Well, I will make sure to include all of that in the show notes. And what I'm going to encourage y'all to do if you're listening to this is to take Gretchen's uh, Tendencies quiz. And I want you to, once you discover which tendency you are, I want you to take a screenshot of this episode. Mm. Yes tag Gretchen, tag yes, myself with whatever tendency you are. We'd love to hear from you and maybe uh, something that you learned from the episode about your tendency or something that Gret- Gretchen shared on habits or happiness. We love feedback.
0: Yeah. No. And if you go to my site under resources, if you're like, there's like all kinds of like what works for obligers, just like a quick, a quick, a quick, like one page guide. If you're curious too. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. I, I feel like we could talk all day that we're interested in so many of the same things. Thanks for having me.
1: Of course, this has been a great conversation. And once again, really thank you for coming on. And once again, for those listening to this, once again, I thank you for listening to this episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bopes, and we'll see you next time.